LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Adkins, and we have a third time guest. Yeah, which we, doesn't happen terribly often, no. but it is happening more often now that we've had 300 and whoever knows how many episodes. <laughs> so we are looking at the numbers. He was on episode 110. That and was back you, in the Barnabas yeah, days. You know, like if, if you can if you can anticipate who we're talking to just by the episode number, like you need to tell us because we'll send you something great. Cause we that's, will. It will that's, be amazing. That's intense. So episode 110, episode 246, and today on episode... 322. We have Paul Tripp back here. Thanks yes. for being on with us, Paul. Hey, it's, it's good to be with you. Oh, it's so good to have you. Um, I mean, I, we are going to ask the five questions where this isn't, you know, we're not doing a, uh, a book interview or anything like that. But at the same time, it's hard not to uh, because the books you've written have certainly changed our lives and our oh families. Oh my goodness, yes. Uh, and the way we view grace and how horrible we feel and then the the roller coaster ride you take us on in every uh, chapter <laughs> of parenting books, especially. Yeah, I mean, Dangerous Calling was yes. killer. Like it was so good. And then I read Parenting with my wife, and I was like, Oh, this is so yeah. much. It's just it was like Dangerous Calling, but for for parents. You know, usually when I read a book with my wife, whether it's a marriage book or a parenting book or something, you you at least can look at the other person and somewhat judge them. <laughs> However, I wouldn't what I judge my wife Todd. about about your books is it breaks you down so much that you you just don't have any there's, there's none of that there because you're both like and there's oh, really nothing else you I'm can awful. rely on other no. than God's grace. I'm awful. Yeah. You'll, you'll be glad you'll be glad to know that I'm writing what is essentially dangerous calling part 2. Oh. Uh, that's awesome. This time this time written to the leadership community. Wow. So instead of the individual pastor or leader, it's written to that community and how that community functions. So that's incredible. I'm excited about it. That's how how yeah. far along are you? So I'm uh, chapter five of fourteen chapters. Yeah. Okay. Okay, man. Okay, so Paul, before we get into our questions, I I just be interested to know your writing process because you're a prolific author, and I mean the stuff you put out, it's not just a few blog posts here and there. I mean it's. It's written really well. It's cohesive. There's deep thought, reflection. You can sense the prayer and the weight behind the words. So, yeah, give us, a, if you don't mind, an insight into your writing process. Well, I, I realized some years ago that uh, with a busy ministry and family life, I wasn't, I wasn't going to get uh, long hours to write, uh, you know, like eight hours in a day. Or... I, I wasn't going to depend on a writing retreat. The problem with a writing retreat is if, if you get sort of blocked and distracted, you waste a week. Yeah. So uh, I, I decided that what I needed to do is once I'm, once I'm ready to write, uh, I've got to write every day. And whether that's a half hour or two hours or 45 minutes – and if you write every day at the end of a month, you have a lot down, uh, a lot of material in hand. And my view is if I write five pages and they stink, praise God, that's five pages I don't ever, ever have to write again. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And so that's, that's how I write. And uh, that pace has 
has served me well. I think I'm working now on my 22nd book. Uh, and it's, it's just that it's, 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 uh, doing it constantly. And so I'm, I'm, I'm always, uh, dividing my time between working on a book and looking forward to the next book. Uh, I just signed a contract for five books. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's just an everyday discipline. Usually mornings is when that works the best for me. And, mm. uh, I think that's why I've been able to produce what I've produced. So, so do you then, when you, when you're doing it, even if you did like 30 minutes or an hour or two hours or a few hours every day, how do you, like when you start the next day, do you review what you wrote the day before, especially if it's the same chapter? It used to be, it used to be harder because that it felt just disjointed to me, but I've gotten in the pace of doing that. And uh, I find it fairly easy now just because I've developed this discipline over the years of just picking up right away and moving on with what I move on. Often what I do is, so I'm, I'm on page 12 of a chapter and I'll just leave myself a note, maybe just four or five words that will get me going. Oh, okay. uh, and the next day I'll, I'll so raise those because because just a note to me, but mm-hmm. that's enough of a trigger to think that's where I am. That's what I need to do next. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's good. Okay. I got, I got one. What is, so out of those 22 books you've written, what's one that didn't like not go well, it didn't, um, it wasn't picked up as often as you thought it may be of should like, is there a book there that's like, um, man, this was a sleeper that happened early on and not a whole lot of people picked it up, but it was, it was really good. Is so one, like one that? of, there are two, one, one of the books that I think is the most theologically rich, uh, and I would like to get back a hold of it and sort of relaunch it is, uh, lost in the middle. Uh, it's about midlife, but it's about just life's disappointments and natural things you go through. And just, there's a richness of the gospel that was brought to that. It's one of the longest books I've written. Uh, and I think, uh, I have a much bigger reading audience now and it, that book has just been a small book and, you know, you just have to, that's all part of God's plan and his sovereignty. And I can't, I can't obsess about that. The other one is, uh, forever. Uh, that's about living in light of eternity. How does eternity, the, the reality of eternity change the way you live here and now? It's not a book about heaven. It's a book about now. Okay. Uh, and I wrote that for, I wrote that for Zondervan and I think they just had a completely different idea of what the book would be like and basically have done nothing with the book. Right. Uh, Did they think it was going to be heaven tourism? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they think thought that and I think they <sighs> – I want to say this without seeming pejorative. I think they anticipated it would be less theological. Okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I knew I was in trouble when I got back the manuscript and I was engaging in content debates with my editor. Mm. I, don't, I don't mind content criticism. I, I love the fact that fresh eyes look at a book. I think that's a wonderful system. 
and I usually do what I'm told unless uh, I think we're not on the same page. But I just think we were in two different worlds. And I knew by the time we got done with that process that they would be unhappy with the book and it probably just wouldn't get the launch that a book needs. Okay. That's fascinating to hear from your perspective. So, oh, yeah. There so, are several people that just put that in their, <laughs> yeah. their favorites. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Now, Paul, before we get into the questions, why don't you give our listeners just an update on, on what's going on in your life since we last talked last year? So, uh, most people that know me know I've gone through some very significant things physically, and uh, I'm stable right now, but I am living with a damaged body. And so I just have to live with that. Uh, and I've learned that weakness is probably not in the way of what God wants to do with me, but my delusions of strength are. Wow. And God doesn't need me to be strong to use me. That's a human way of thinking. We hate weakness because we hate dependency. We want to be self-sufficient. Uh, so those have all been just rich and beautiful for me, uh, just personally. Uh, and it's been by far the most productive time of my ministry. It's just been amazing that in the midst of my limits, what God has done. I mean, I had, I had 50 million visits last year to my social media sites. I mean, that's crazy to yeah. me. That is crazy. I mean, it's just, it just, it's just nuts. I mean, I just put words on a page, but I've been surrounded by very smart and dedicated people, and uh, it's just been been amazing. So I, I live in the tension of that. I live in moments frustrated with what I physically have to live with, at the same time, just blown away by what God has done in the the middle of it. So good. Okay. So, uh, who are you currently learning from? So I, I really love the fact that, um, the, there is such a, such a zeal to apply the gospel to everyday life. So I can, I can give you some things that I'm presently reading that just the stuff I love to read. Uh, some of these are people that I mentored now are mentoring me uh, uh, a book that I I wrote the forward to, but I just love this book. It's called Parenting with Words of Grace, hmm. uh, Building Relationships with Children One Conversation at a Time. It's by William Smith. It's just a beautiful way of how to have tough conversations that are just made beautiful by the gospel. Hmm. And I just think Forget that it's written to parents. We all need this. We're not good at this. And often conversations about sensitive issues are ridiculously awkward or tense or critical and judgmental. And I just think there's so much practical wisdom of how to speak out of the gospel with to people. Um, a book by J.D. Greer, which is called not God enough. Mm. It's about, uh, you know, it's, it really is about the difference between your conceptual theology and your functional theology. 
and how you may have in your formal theology a God who's immense and infinite, but in your functional theology have a God who's too small. Wow, that's so true. And, and you don't, because of your the smallness of, of God in everyday life, you just don't uh, seek him and live with courage and hope. Uh, another one that's, that's brand new, uh, a man that I dearly love and so thankful that he's a voice in the Christian community is Sam Albury and his new book, Seven Myths About Singleness. Uh, I love Sam and I love his, his story and the way he talks about the gospel and I think we just screw with the hearts and minds of single people because we've made an idol out of marriage. Wow. Uh, And uh, most people who are married know that marriage is a pretty poor idol. Uh, It just doesn't deliver what you want to do. If you're trying to get your meaning and identity and hope out of your marriage, you're cooked. Mm. Uh, so it's really it's really great to have someone speaking with kind of enthusiasm and joy and the gospel out of uh, into singleness. And then uh, this this is a little more technical, but I, I I love it. It's it's learning to love the Psalms by Robert Godfrey. Hmm. Uh, I love the Psalms. I think the Psalms are in the Bible to keep us honest about the messiness of faith. Yeah. And uh, I think he has so many, so much, so many helpful things to say about the Psalms. You know, I think there's a way in which all of us are attracted to the Psalms because we see ourselves there and we hear the cries there and he sort of uh, gets at how to get the best out of the, out of the Psalms. So those are, those are things that I really love. I, I want to be discipled and I want people who teach me new things or help me see old things in a new way. And these are all books that are very current, uh, but I think enormously uh, engaging and uh, growth producing. That's wonderful. So would you say that most of your learning comes through reading yeah, I mean, I do. I do have a lot of ministry relationships that I, are important to me, and conversations that I walk away and say, "Man, there are people who live and die and never have a conversation like I've just had." I have an enormous sense of privilege for that. But I think the the thing that's nice about a book is you can you can live with the book. Um, I was sent a copy of uh, the uh, Story of Redemption Bible. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's just phenomenal. It traces the redemptive story through scripture. Oh, uh, and, you know, you just I'm just reading along and there'll be a note. And the observation you could just live with for days. Mm. And so I, I just, I love those kinds of things. I love how a book can sort of walk with you. Yeah, that's <clears throat> neat. So for you, Paul, what would you say the main point of emphasis for your, for your leadership is right now? So if you're talking about uh, 
what I think about myself as a leader and the leader community that I want to be around. Um, I think that ministry, uh, spiritually healthy ministry that has longevity and produces good fruit is always the work of a community. I understand that I have limited gifts. I'm not gifted in every way as possible. Yeah. So I need to surround myself who are gifted in places where I'm not. That means functionally, I should not be the smartest person in the room. Hmm. If I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm not actually the smartest person in the room because that's pretty dumb. Because there, I want to surround myself with people who are just as committed to kingdom ministry as I am, but are smart in places where I'm not. Uh, you know, my ministry has my name on it, uh, but I laugh and tell people that I get up every day and I do what I'm told to do by people who work with me. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Uh, because they have insight that I don't have. They have connections that I don't have. And I need, I need to listen to their wisdom. The second thing is that I don't want to have to chase people. I don't have to want to have to worry about what they're doing on day X. If I have to do that, I'm not going to do what God has wired me to do. Hmm. So I want to have People work with me, lead alongside of me, who are self-starters and trustworthy. Now, uh, Ben Fallon, who works with me, is not yet 30. Uh, his work has changed my life and my ministry. Hmm. He's a kid that I mentored many years ago. Uh, I don't give a rip what Ben is doing on a particular Wednesday because his work is so faithful and so influential and so personally helpful to me. Yeah. I, there's no need. There's no need for me to follow him around, and um, that's what I want in my leadership community. I want that kind of commitment, that kind of trust, that kind of faithfulness, and then that we have an enormous respect for one another's gifts. We all understand our the limited nature of the gifts we've been given, and so we want to be open to the giftedness of the people that are with us. I think uh, that how you illustrated your relationship with Ben and, you know, that, that trust, that level of the, even the fact that you're, you mentored him, but you were learning from him as well. And, and all that, I think everyone would love that kind of team and would love to be surrounded by people like that. What advice would you give our listeners um, to do that and to find team members like that? So uh, I think that you, you first have to be uh, very honest about your, not your gift strengths, but your gift weaknesses. Okay. Where are you not gifted? Uh, and how would having somebody who is gifted in that way uh, enhance what God has called you to do? So that's the first thing. And then... Uh, character trumps gift. You just, you, Definitely. You just ha and it's, it's interesting that if you take the New Testament list of the qualification for elder, 
there's almost no performance gifts there. Maybe being apt to teach. It's all characters. Yeah, I never right. noticed that. And so, so, so I'm 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 not just uh, looking for the next effective, cool, whatever. I want people of of that that kind of character. That uh, the guy who runs the the business part of what I do, who manages. Uh, the finances and basically manages my life is a very successful insurance man. He was enormously successful starting his own company, but he has just the gentlest, sweetest servant's heart. This guy could still be making millions. And I walk into a conference. He's on his knees unpacking boxes of books because he loves God's kingdom. Hmm. And uh, he's not doing that for me. Uh, he knows there are moments I can be a jerk. Uh, he's doing that because he loves God and he sees the potential of this ministry to get the gospel to people in ways that they can understand it. So, so you have to emphasize character. Uh, and, and then you have to build relationships of trust. Uh, so you... Uh, people feel respected and uh, they feel like they've been given the rope to do what they do best. They can't be afraid of you and afraid of getting slugged if they make a mistake. That's good. Because that'll, that'll paralyze them. You're right. Uh, and I expect people to be imperfect. I expect them to do dumb things. I do. Uh, but I want them to know that I trust them and I love them and I'm thankful for them and don't have to worry about rather privately or publicly being demeaned by me because I don't want to do that uh, to them because they are a gift of God to me. That's so good. Okay. Uh, I'm going to move us on to our our third question, and that is, other than read scripture, because we know that that's going to be uh, part of this, but other than that, uh, what are one or two things that you find you you need to do daily uh, to stay sharp as a leader? So there there's a a couple things here. One is prayer. Uh, I think prayer is very, very important. some years ago, I came across a app called Prayer Mate. Sounds funny to have a prayer app, <laughs> but but it's it's really helped me. And I used to commit to pray to, for people, and I would forget. Uh, uh, it allows you to make lists and to be regular and faithful. I get out my phone in my personal time of prayer in the morning and go through all those lists. It's been wonderful, uh, and. and there's the top couple things for me. One, it reminds me of all these people that have touched me that I'm thankful for. Uh, and I always leave that time of prayer, not just grateful for God, but grateful for these people. It, it reminds me too that, that there's only a limit of my influence in their lives. Uh, there are things that only God can do. I pray because it's, it's not because it's just sort of a personal religious habit, 
which it is, but because uh, in those people's lives, I'm only ever a tool. Uh, change in their lives, help, rescue, provision it, are always an act of divine grace. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I want to be, re, be reminded of that. That's the first thing, prayer. I think uh, the second is just paying attention to my marriage. Uh, you know, we've been married for 47 years and are still working on our marriage. That's incredible. Uh, we're, we're strong-willed people and we have to be willing to confess and be confronted by one another. And we have to invest time in one another's lives. And we're, we're as busy as we've ever been in our lives uh, Luella is in the gallery business. She's an art dealer and she's very, very busy. Uh, but we really do carve out time for just she and me uh, to to be together. And then I would say one third, th- third, a third thing. This is this is the last thing that I I want people in my life who will help me to see me. Uh, People are not enamored by the public Paul trip, but who will who will confront me in ways that are necessary. And I do have those people in my life. Um, I do ask to be pastored, and I think that's that's very important. What advice would you give pastors who, especially lead pastors, who want that? Uh, but they're just having a hard time finding people who are not enamored by them and or who may not try to treat them preferentially because, you know, they have a position of influence. So uh, don't give up. Find that person. When I was a young pastor, uh, I came into church planting with a lot of sort of local regional respect and it was really hard for me to find that in my context. But I, I met a guy, I was in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and I met a guy across the city who was in a completely different e- ecclesiastical denominational context, but seemed like he was hungry for fellowship. So I said, is it possible for us to get together once a week and just share honestly our lives, ask one another honest questions, and just read scripture and pray together. He said, I would love to do that. And that was that was such a rich time for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just want to say to people, don't give up too soon. Uh, pray that God would make that provision for you. And and know it's 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 not healthy to live in isolation and separation. Everybody needs the body of Christ. <clears throat> I love that. I love that. Now, Paul, you and Luella have, uh, that's incredible, been married 47 years and you have four grown children. So today, what does leadership in your home look like? So I just want to say, in case people are tr- trying to calculate my age, <laughs> <laughs> that, that I was married at seven. <laughs> so we just got to get that out there. Phew, uh, that's good. Okay, I was so wondering how we got that. <laughs> so, up front. so I, I think, 
it's it's striking to me, and I will admit this, burdensome and the right sense of what that means that I carry this as a responsibility that one of the one of the things that the Bible argues for is how can you lead the church of Jesus Christ if you can't lead your family? How can you pastor God's people if you're not pastoring your family? So that's that's important to me and uh as it is to Luella. So um, those have to be priorities for me. Now, the problem is public ministry, if I could use this term, is a lot sexier and attractive than private ministry is. You know, public ministry, people who are blessed by you just think you're great. (laughs) No one in my family thinks I'm great. (laughs) I mean, they, they love the fact that God has blessed my ministry and they look up to me in that way. But they know me with all my weaknesses and weirdness and foibles. And, you know, the shine is off for so many years. The shine will never return. Uh, so it's, it's easy in ministry to gravitate to what is easier and more immediately fulfilling then the hard work of uh, having healthy relationships with people who are not just glad to be in your presence. I mean, when someone comes up to me breathlessly and asks me to sign a book, like I'm the fourth member of the Trinity, uh, I'm, I'm not at all you know, puffing out my chest and thinking, wow, I'm great. I just think this is just a proof that you do not know me at all. Wow. Or uh, you would not be breathless at this moment. So uh, that, that responsibility doesn't end when your children leave your home. There's a way in which we have as, as active, but in a different way, uh, commitment to our children uh, and wanting to have wholesome, wonderful relationships with them and be tools in their lives as much as we've ever had that commitment. And now the issues are tremendously more complicated. Uh, For example, uh, I have my oldest son uh, has two children and uh, they have an established home of their own. I can't go in there and take over. I can't go in and announce what I think is best. That's dishonoring to the new authority structure that God has set up. So, so I, I, I have to parent, but in a brand new way. And uh, so you're, you're always, always saying, how do I live out the commitment that God has called me to with my family in this new stage that the family is, is in? So- uh, yeah. So then what are, what are some ways that you've learned to parent your grown children? Well, I, I think the number one is where once, uh, my, my main, uh, tool was I had natural authority in my children's life given to me by God. And we wanted a healthy relationship. 
But the platform was, were there, were there parents, their little ones, they know very little, we know a lot. It's that, it's that high authority uh, kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you don't have that with adult children. You're right. And so, because God's plan is that they would need less and less of that function of authority as they grow and mature. So you're working yourself out of a job in that way. But the number one platform for influence now is relationship, not authority, relationship. Okay. And so if we're going to be able to exercise influence, we, we have to have good relationships. So they're open to us and they're relaxed with us. They come to us. They want to hear from us. Uh, and so we just work real hard on having those kind of relationships, showing love to our children, being generous with our children, uh, being supportive and encouraging so that in moments where it gets a little harder, there's a platform uh, that we've established. Uh, we can, this sounds crass way of saying it, but we can call in the capital of relationship that we have built. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah. That wasn't crass at all. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like cashing in your coins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so what would you, if you could go back and talk to your 20 year old self about leadership and preparing to lead, uh, and maybe uh, what would you tell yourself, your 20 year old self about what you need to focus on and, and how to lead well? So whenever this, whenever this question is asked, I think about a moment in my ministry life, uh, I was beaten down, discouraged. I went into pastorate feeling like God had given me gifts and I was theologically prepared. And I just had received an enormous amount of criticism, which I probably needed, but I was just hurt and discouraged and I wanted to run. And I got a hold of my elders and I said, I can't do this anymore. I want to resign. I found a place in California that uh, was looking for a school, Christian school principal. And I thought, Jesus and the beach, what could be better than that? <laughs> uh, and so they said, we don't want you to resign. I said, I, I, I can't do this anymore. And sort of begrudgingly, they said, okay, we'll, we'll support you. We'll, Sunday, we'll make this announcement to the congregation. So I made the announcement. I was the founding pastor of the church. People were shocked and saddened. And I was the last one out of the building, very emotional time after the service. And there was an, the oldest man in the congregation was standing on the porch. And he said, can we talk for a moment? I said, sure. I didn't want to talk to him, but I knew I, knew I had to be respectful. And he said, look, Paul, we know you're immature. I thought, well, this is a good start. Uh, yeah, you never want to be in those. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then he said something that is, is what I've said to a thousand young pastors. He said, where's the church going to get mature leaders if immature leaders run? Don't leave. 
That's brutal. We have we we haven't asked you to leave. We want you to stay. Huh. I I went home, tears streaming down my face, and said to Luella, "I can't go. We can't go. I I feel like the the word picture I used. I feel like God has nailed my shoes to the porch of the church." And called my elders that afternoon and said, "Okay, I'm an idiot. Uh, I want to unresign." And they said, well, this is not typical, (laughs) but I did. And I stayed several more years. And I think of if I had run, not one book would have been written. All this rich life of ministry would not have happened. Wow. And so what will happen to the 20 something old pastor is your weaknesses will get revealed. Ministry has a way of doing that. And people will be critical. Uh, and and for but, many of those people, that's the first time that ever happens. Yeah. And but what will happen is that, that is planned by God to be at the forge in which your maturity and your usefulness happens. That's right. None of that is a mistake. And I just wanted the hurt to end. And I realized that uh, the people around me weren't saying enough of you, just get out of here. They knew I was a young man and they knew I needed to grow, but they were committed to letting that happen. And, uh, you know, they, the, some of the studies recently say that you know, the average graduate of a seminary is in ministry for five years. Not at a church, in ministry. Wow. Uh, and then they leave? That, yeah. Wow. That we're, we're just running. Yikes. And uh, I think it's even made worse now because of the internet and we compare ourselves to all the big names. And so you, you not only have others beat you up, you beat yourself up and... Listen, stay, stay where you are until it's impossible for God, for you to do what God has called you to do and watch the character and the wisdom, uh, the facility for ministry that happens as a result. Hardship, hardship in the hands of the Redeemer is a workroom of grace and I am so thankful for the one sentence that a man spoke to me that forever changed my life. Uh, and I've spoken that sentence to so many young men. Stay. Of course it's hard. Of course you're young. Of course you're going to preach better. Of course you're going to counsel more wisely. Of course you're going to lead better. Of course, of course, of course. Don't run. Stay. It's wonderful. Paul, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for uh, your honesty here on the interview and and just for, uh, you know, just spending time with us and and with our listeners. We really appreciate it. Really. Well, it's, it's my honor. Uh, There's nothing that we've talked about uh, today that I don't desperately need myself. So good. Uh, I just want to say too, you know, um, you were pivotal early on in uh, ministry grid. I mean, just so you know, in the last six months, 
the the number of churches have doubled on there, and consistently people come back and would say, the work that you did, the training that you do, and the discipleship category um, yes. for volunteers, leaders, Constantly. coaches, directors <laughs> of ministry, and senior pastors, that that is uh, that is frequently commented on as as some of the best content that's on there. So just really appreciate your investment and your relationship with us from the first pipeline to today. That's very encouraging. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Dude. Like, can he just be a regular part of our podcast? <laughs> no. You can replace you can replace me. Week. Just <laughs> yeah. I mean, it should just be the Paul Trip 5 LQ. Yeah. <laughs> and be done. We yes, could we okay. could probably ask the same five questions every week. I would still be there. Yes, completely. That's incredible. Now, if you haven't checked out the the discipleship material on Ministry Grid, it's absolutely it is incredible. So when we talk about, I mean, I know you hear us talk about Ministry Grid uh, from time to time. Don't stop because you may not realize what this is. This is concentric learning at its finest, and that's a big educational term. But what that basically means is for every level of your leadership pipeline, the content builds on what was before. So your volunteers are learning about discipleship. And what that's what that means is Paul Tripp is walking them through spiritual formation, basic spiritual disciplines. And then your leaders are learning how to articulate that and draw that out of their volunteers and so on and so forth. So that, as you know, you're, you're basically talking about being able to teach theology by the time you get to the top of the uh, the levels uh, where you're talking about senior leadership in the church and what's our call um, from the discipleship category. So it is, you know, it's very rich. And so I would just really encourage you to to take a look at that. Yeah, because that discipleship category we have on Ministry Grid, it's part of our core competencies, right? So that in our leadership pipeline, so that's discipleship, vision, strategy, collaboration, people development, and stewardship. So Paul Tripp does the content for discipleship for volunteers, right? Discipleship for leaders, discipleship for ministry directors, discipleship for senior leaders. So whether you're using Ministry Grid just for your own personal development, or you're using it for your church, you can be learning the same material and bringing your leaders through the same material as well. So we definitely encourage you to check that out. You can go to ministrygrid.com or if you go to the show notes for today's episode, we'll put a link into uh, actually the 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 content that you can preview for that page. Awesome. Well, thanks again for listening in. And, and if you haven't yet checked out the One Thing podcast, they are a part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Way cooler accents. <laughs> they do. Scott Sanders and Derek Hanna, they are Australians. And every episode they talk about one ministry-related thing. So recently they've talked about regional church planting, social media in your church, and succession. So just look up the One Thing Look for the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network logo up on the top right and subscribe today.